Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight I'm talking with Nathan Isaac. He is one of the creative minds behind the Penny Royal podcast, which is an awesome podcast. Hello, Nathan. How you doing? How's it going? It was going great until I messed up, you know, your podcast name in the first <laughs> intro. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going great. It's <laughs> great. It's great. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to chat tonight. Obviously, we well, you and I chatted a few weeks ago too. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I'm kept that talking. secret though. Yeah, yeah. These are these it's are secrets secret. we're keeping, but soon yes. things will be yes. revealed. Keep it you know? secret. Keep it safe. You know? He gave me a ring. It's that's it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're planning a, a road trip to get rid of it. it. It's it's not a thing, but that's true. Too, uh, yeah. All right. So everybody knows about the podcast, but how many people know why you decided to do that podcast and what attracted you to the paranormal or high strangeness or whatever you want to call it? Oh, man, that's uh, well, like, you know, I, I grew up in eastern Kentucky in a and I was just talking about this recently too. My parents were just in town, but grew up in a fire and brimstone, uh, Eastern Kentucky, Appalachian. And my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher, uh, Southern free will Baptist. My parents have always been really religious. So, you know, every day the world was ending and, mm -hmm. um, yep. it was constantly, you know, hopefully the world ends today. We're all, you know, going to go to heaven and you know, that, that kind of, kind of, kind of was a weird, space yeah. to, to grow up in and uh, psychologically mm -hmm. so um so anyway there was a lot of talk of angels and demons especially demons right there was a lot of mm -hmm. demonic talk uh magic was very much like excuse me don't touch it right you know don't right. do don't not get it. do not get involved in black magic do not play dungeons and dragons right um yep. all of all of those things right and i grew up in the you know satanic panic of the 1980s mm -hmm. and i was always told i am not blonde haired or blue eyed but my, my parents were always like watch out they're snatching blonde haired blue eyed children and be careful on your bike out there because they're satanists in vans and they're taking children and sacrificing them all of those things right it was like sort oh of, yeah i remember those things well too you know it's like America sort of, we don't think of it that way, but America was like this occult wasteland, right? At that time where, yeah. where there were Satanists yeah. in every corner, anyone could be mm -hmm. worshiping the devil, right? Um, especially the bad kids. And, yeah. you know, oh, I, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that kind of having the, the sort of dual uh, apocalypticism baked into everything, then having all the, the demonic, satanic panic stuff. Um, I was and from a very early age thinking about the world in sort of a strange way, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, my parents didn't think that. And I think most of conservative Americans probably don't think that they are sort of preaching this occult view of the world because they're fighting against it, right? But really, they're promoting mm -hmm. the idea of the, of the mm -hmm. occult. You know, the biggest promoters yeah. of the occult are conservative Christians, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and so boy, like, do they hate hearing that. They hate oh, yeah. that. Yeah. If you yeah. say it, oh my God. Oh, yeah. I, I got thrown into the penalty box for two weeks uh, on Facebook for saying that. Um, oh. It was one of my friend's friends that must have complained because you know, my friends know me so that they know what I'm going to say. 
but yeah, penalty box, two weeks. That's crazy. for that. Man. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying anything against Christians. Like people are free to believe anything they want. And I think people should. It's just the that con- level of conservatism in anything. And I would say, you know, i.e. fascism, right? That that people are mm-hmm. intolerant of others, right? Um, and so anyway, I uh, you know, that was the sort of worldview that I was dropped into in uh, a very small town in Appalachia. And uh was exposed to Lovecraft at an early age, strangely, um, you know, not things available in McGoffin County, but um, I got I had a chance to go study at a special program and uh, they had access to all kinds of crazy stuff. And that kind of blew the doors open for me. Um, Appalachia already has that sort of ancient, you know, the oldest mountains in the world feel. Um, there's something sort of Lovecrafting and Lovecrafting about it all. But you know, I, I loved ghost hunting when I was a kid. There were a lot of haints in the hollers, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had an aunt that took took myself and a bunch of the other kids in the family uh, ghost hunting on the weekends when we were really small, and took a lot of cemeteries, a lot of graveyards, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it was, it was fun. I guess that was the thing. I've, I have a really great association with the weird and the paranormal and high strangeness because of that. Right. Those are some of the best moments I think growing up mm-hmm. and, and, uh, against the backdrop of all of the, uh, demonic apocalypticism, um, you know, made it you know, when I watched ghostbusters, the cartoon. Right. And I was always right. like, you know, they had the, uh, the book that Egon had, that was the sort of like a uh, oh, what was it called Tobin's spirit guide right and right. it had had all of these beings all these things about other dimensions and so like all of those things to me just sounded amazing I wanted to grow up and chase down mysteries and you know I went to college and and uh, studied philosophy and religion and and vowed never to return to a small town again. I was in college at Transylvania University, which, you know, in retrospect now, I love that I was at Transylvania just because Mm -hmm. of the association, you know, of of Dracula with Transylvania. Um, You know, Kentucky used to be called Transylvania. Um, You know, that's... Should have stayed that way. Right? They should have kept (laughs) it. It just means through the woods, right? You know? Yeah. But but I think it's funny. And... uh, but but there were a lot of things like that even going to Transylvania University that that have sort of looped back into the current story and the current things uh, in life that are sort of weird. Uh, but yeah, I, I vowed to never go back to a small town. And I met my wife and she was like, hey, let's move back to Somerset and uh, work with my parents, you know, for the day job I do. And I was like, all right, let's let's go. And I got here and I thought, man, this is here. Here I am back in another small town where there's nothing going on. I can't get any Indian food. You know, there's there's just nothing here. It's a, a sea of conservatism. And then boom, you know, just, you know, the rest is history and discovered all this weirdness. And, and it's just sort of spiraled out from that, you know. That's awesome. Okay, I have to tell you, I live in a small town too, but it's a college town. So we do have one Indian restaurant. But uh, mostly, so I, I cook it myself. I, it's a thing that you have to do when you move into a, a small town after being in larger cities. Uh, so we do have Indian food, but I like mine better. Uh, so I I really like, you know, the 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 growing up, and you're surrounded with apocalyptic fever. 
That was the case everywhere in West Virginia in the 80s. Even in the in the big cities, it didn't matter. Everybody was like, you know, the world's going to end on such and such a day. And, you know, it was at work. It was it was at church. It was it was everywhere. People would be talking about it at Kmart, for God's sake. Excuse me. And my answer was always none shall know of my coming. I shall come as a thief in the night. I'm like, it's right there, y'all. Like it's it's in there. It's like in there. And I said, and and this this uh you know, rapture crap, that isn't even in there. That that's like, you know, I was I was a terrible person to, to go to church with because I'd always, you know, pull up, hey, that, that rapture stuff started in the nineteenth century. So it's not actually in there, you know. The dead shall rise, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it the 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 righteous don't just, you know, float off to heaven. That's not, you know, everybody gets judged. It's the whole thing. And they don't go up to heaven and then come back down for the judgment. It, y'all, it, a dude made that up in the 19th century. And, uh, yeah, I got in trouble with, with pastors and I bet. Uh, ministers. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. It's so I stopped going to church when I was 15 because I just, I just couldn't keep my mouth shut sufficiently. <laughs> But, you know, I'd be sitting there, you know, doing a profit and loss statement at work at a at a yogurt shop. Boy, that's fun. Um, people get, you know, sticky yogurt business on your paperwork while you're trying to do it. And uh, it, the dude who was making waffle cones would, would just be like, did you hear the rapture's coming? And I'd be like, oh, my God, that's all you all talk about. <laughs> it, and what's going to happen when it doesn't come again? <laughs> What are you gonna do? And yeah, I mean, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's like, oh, it's gonna come this time. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> They're gonna are be they right raising this money time, off man. this, yeah. <laughs> you know? right? Now, I mean, it was, it's true, and, and the you know, the, I, you know, I went to church a few times, and my but my parents didn't require me to go to church. They're very uh, not. They weren't conservative. My my dad was a coal miner. And my mom was a, a librarian at, at a middle school, right? So very blue collar. And again, my right. dad, you know, in, in McGoffin County, uh, go, you know, being a minor, I mean, it was a minor his entire life, you know, from when he was a young man and would drive three hours in the morning, get in a truck with a bunch of other miners. They drive three hours to like Pikeville, West Virginia, or in, even all the way to West Virginia to these mines. Yeah. And, and yeah. then they'd get home at like two o'clock in the morning, you know, and they'd be, you know, he'd be covered it you know just head to toe pitch black right and yeah uh, but they were very um you know i bring that up because my parents have always been very pro progressive in terms of like they were staunch democrats and unionists and very mm -hmm. much about protecting minors rights you know now i think that's kind of flipped mm -hmm. in the political spectrum in a weird way now uh yes. recently uh but yeah and i it Strange, yeah. right? You know, because Reagan and you know that mm -hmm. I, my, my dad hates Reagan because he rolled all, you know, mm -hmm. got rid of all of the mining restrictions and busted up the unions. And Dad said yeah. after that there were no protections, right? And so, so anyway, you know, my my parents no. were, very, they, you know, they were very open to everything. And my mom and dad were like, "Hey, you can study any religion you want, right? You can you can read anything." And and they let me. They even got me the books because my mom thought. If he exposes himself to this, he reads all of this stuff, 
you know, he'll come back to Jesus and it'll be, his faith will be even stronger. But really what it did was show me that, man, there's all these different ways to look at the universe. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it produced who I am now, but my mom's like, I should have never let you, you know, you're out here talking all this crazy, sh- <laughs> crazy shit, you know? And uh, I mean, she loves me. She loves me. She loves the stuff she, that I, you know, the work that I do and, and the stories I tell, but uh, I think she's always been like, man, did I mess up? But I'm like, you didn't mom, you know, like things, things are great. You know, I just, I, I'm very curious about the world, you know? Yeah. 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 I was lucky. My parents did not have me baptized and they didn't make me go to church. My mom took me to a church of Christ for a couple years, but it was because that was the church basement that the Girl Scouts had their meetings in and we were in Girl Scouts. So um, we went there um, and then they got a new minister who was very fire and brimstone and and, you know, was having people throw their watches and their rings and whatnot in the collection basket. And she was like, oh, I'm out. And that was the end of that. And then after that, if I wanted to go to church, I went to church. Um, and so, yeah, that that's, I was a pain in the butt on my own time. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I did get kicked out of uh, summer Bible camp, too. Uh, the 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 ones that they do in the church. Speaking of church basements, the church basements they make you make the macaroni pictures, and and then they talk about Noah's Ark, and yeah, um, I I I basically said that you know uh, this whole idea of Noah's Ark makes no sense, and um, you know there's no way you could fit every species of every animal into a boat. I don't care how miraculous. Uh, it was, and, and so I, I basically, after that one, and uh, the one where I said something about if Adam and Eve were the only two people, then wh- who, this is, this is not good, you know, because I, I started to say, well, who did their sons marry? I started to open my mouth, and then the, the, the teacher just looked at me and shook her head. You know, she just shook her head. She said, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. So I was like, okay, okay. And she said, you know, when my mom picked me up, she said, you know, she can come back if she stops asking questions. (laughs) So (laughs) mom said, I guess you're not going to go back. I went, no. What did you ask? Well, I wanted to know who Adam and Eve's children married. And she was like, yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, don't do that to those people. That's just not a nice thing <laughs> to ask them about at your age. It's, that's difficult. There are other children there, and if she answered it in any way that would upset their parents, then she'd be in trouble, so you can't do that. And, whereas dad came home and said, I hear you got kicked out of Bible school. What happened? And I told him, and he was like, good, <laughs> because that's stupid. <laughs> that's awesome, like, though. Okay, dad. He's like, hey, I was forced to go to go to church, and and I would sit in the balcony and fall asleep, you know. So, yeah, just yeah. it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Um, so when you went ghost hunting, who who took you ghost hunting, and and what did you guys do? Well, you know, it was like country ghost hunting. So, and this was <laughs> this was in like nineteen eighty eight through like nineteen ninety four or something. You know, when I was uh, pretty young. Teenager, just becoming a teenager, and uh, my my uh, 
it was my first cousin actually it was um, my aunt's daughter and i i was i'm the youngest child in a very big family right so like you know mm-hmm. my my mother has six siblings and my father has six siblings you know they're, they're very so that's a co- lot of cousins you know it's a lot of cousins and so uh i was the last person born in the family and sort of like 10 years after everyone else. So like all of my cousins were adults with children my age, right? And so they were taking their mm-hmm. children ghost hunting and they took me along. So I had this one uh, uh, cousin named Vaughn and she, uh, she'd she load us all up, you know? she And I remember too, she smoked like three, four packs of cigarettes a day. So it was, you know what I mean? It was like, I always remember those like long cigarettes and she'd load us up in this, uh, you know, Civic that she had, and then would just drive us out on Friday and Saturday nights, just a, a whole pile of kids, and take us to these graveyards and just let us, you know, scare the hell out of each other. And it was great. You know what I mean? It was just, <laughs> it was great. funny, you know, like nothing, nothing ever crazy happened. Things would bang on the car. I think a few times they staged some things just to scare us, but, um, but I just loved it. Right. I loved being there with those other kids. And, th- and there's just something fantastic mm-hmm. about being with a group of people and getting scared together. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's part of, of the ghost hunting appeal. You know, that's why there are, teams of ghost hunting uh you know uh, groups mm-hmm. and and it's you know it's going ghost hunting by yourself is really scary right but go going mm-hmm. ghost hunting with a group of people and getting scared together is really fun and and yeah. i think that's i think that's why we like watching those shows i think that's why the show those that genre has gotten so popular uh, because it does sort of unlock that part of you, that kid that's with the other kids in the neighborhood sneaking into a graveyard at midnight to see if anything happens. And, right. and I, but I kind of feel like all the stuff that, you know, the research that you do, the podcast, like all of us, you know, and the things that, you know, personal life that we all, you know, whether it's going and chasing Mothman or, or anything, right. We, we hear these wild stories of places and things and, uh, you know, it's chasing those things is, is, is really chasing that sort of uh, childlike fear and wonder and just like just having a wild time. Right. And, and questioning that, yeah. that things, these can, these things exist, right. Can these things happen? And, and if, it, if they can happen, then that means there's a whole world of, of possibilities, you know, that we've been told, no, 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 you know, just like we've been talking about, you know, with the, the sort of the conservative, yeah. view, don't, don't ask any questions, right. Don't seek those <laughs> things out. Right. And, uh, right. And, and I think that's, what's so amazing about the paranormal, but really high strangeness, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's, that's what kicked it up a notch for me was encountering stories of high strangeness that didn't just make me question what was happening in the world, but really made me question what the hell reality was, right? Because you Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't encounter high strangeness and read, you know, John Keel's books or any of the other folks that have, you know, written about. And I, and I think it's, it's just gotten more and more popular after John Keel. Um, But, but, you know, you read these stories and it's like, that's impossible, right? Something would have to be wrong with reality in order for this to be true. But yet someone believes they've had an experience where that happened. And, and like that it's, it's sort of, you, you, 
I, you know, I became a junkie for it. Those were the stories I mm-hmm. wanted to find, right? Those were the encounters I wanted to have, but because it, you know, in essence, it's, it's a little bit of a thread that it wants you to start pulling at it. Right. And, and you don't know yeah. what's going to unravel once you start pulling at that thread and, and it's addictive. again, it's just, mm-hmm. it's been very addictive, especially if you're a curious person. And, um, and so, yeah, for me, like the paranormal has really become that has become, uh, searching for high strangeness and, uh, and those little things where it's like, man, something's, something's, something else is definitely going on here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, the whole idea of there's gotta be something not quite right about reality. If what you say is true. You know, so it makes a young person's mind start, you know, going in these circles going, well, if if things can happen, I've seen things and these people have seen things and my family members have seen things and these things have then what is going on, you know, and then I go to school and I love science and my physics professor you know my physics teacher is telling me well no that doesn't really work that way and then my my chemistry teacher at high school was a ritual magician and he said oh yeah that stuff happens <laughs> you know, so. no way no well yes i was gonna way. I, I, so i was gonna say i was gonna say the the science teacher the physics teacher that's sort of like the sunday school teacher that's like don't ask those questions. Don't ask those questions. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. But if you've got it, if you've got a chemistry teacher who's a ritual magician, that's that's a whole other story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now he didn't tell all of his his students, you know, that he was a ritual magician, but I got my first tarot deck and I had taken it to class. And uh, my physics teacher said, Why don't you read for me? You know, because we, we had a free period. I don't remember why we were ahead of the schedule, had taken our last test or something for the quarter. I don't know. But he said, Why don't you read for me? And I did. And I'd only had these things for like a week. And every card that laid out was a major arcana. And I was like, um, I don't think I can do this. I said, I, this is above my, this is above my pay grade, dude. I can't, I just started learning this. I totally, I, and he said, well, why don't you go mis- get Mr. Craig? And and I was like, chemistry guy? And he's like, yeah, yeah. The guy I hang out with all the time. He said, he's got a free period right now. Why don't you get him? He'll read it for us. And I was like, what? Just go get him. So I went and got him and I was like, uh, he wants you to come and read this tarot reading that I laid out for him because it's all like major arcana and I just got the deck and I don't. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. And I'm like, you read tarot cards? He said, oh, yeah, I'm a I'm a ritual magician. And I went, what? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're a witch. It's it's OK. Come on, let's go. <laughs> so he, he looked down at the, the reading. He carried his coffee with him. He looked down, he looked up at at, his, at the physics teacher and said, oh, Gary, buddy, you've got a long road to hoe. That's a, that's a big one. Uh, all righty. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to keep it all inside until lunchtime. He said, and then we're going to have a talk about it because I'm not going to read this in front of the kids. And, uh, 
apparently, unbeknownst to all of us, except for the person the reading was for, he, he, his wife had just served him with divorce papers that he didn't expect. And wow. so that's what that was. That's what all that was, you know, because the tower was there. Death was wow. there. Uh, lovers reverse the devil, you know, all of this stuff. And, and uh, Mr. Craig told me later, he's like, oh, yeah. He said that that's that's what it was after I talked with him. He said, don't say anything. I said, I won't. And uh, he said, now, here, let's talk about the tarot cards and I'll give you I'll give you some advice on how to how to use them. He's like, all that stuff about their magic, they're not really magic. They're symbolism. Have you ever heard of uh, that Carl Jung guy? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, well, you should read up on that. He's like, that's, that's where you'll learn the really good tarot stuff is from him. He said, but, you know, they're not magic. They're paper, you know. So he said, and you're going to have people who are going to, you know, devil cards around here. He said, and they're not. They're just paper, you know. He was really cool. He was like was my it, first teacher. Was this in West Virginia? Yes, in Charleston. No, Don't you but, know that all the devil worshippers live in Charleston? That made us. <laughs> I mean, I, ha I have seen Southern Charm, you know, the TV show. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, right. You know, some crazy yep, people. It's there. Charleston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really that's really uh, wild, you know. Like that's a that's a really crazy experience. Did you ever have any other like after high school or anything like that? Talk to the talk to the chemistry teacher that that was a ritual magician. Or I talked with him a few times. Um, my senior year, I was one of his lab assistants, and uh, so you know when when his first year students weren't in the lab trying to set fire to everything and needed me to like hover over them and go, no. Um, I was very good at saying no. I think because I had heard no so many times as a child, don't ask that, no. I was really good at put that down, no. Um, uh, he would, he would, you know, we, we'd get the tarot deck out and, and work with it. And uh, it was, he was really cool. Uh, and, uh, we had a, we had a fan club for him. We called it the Mr. Craig fan club. Uh, it was not a school sanctioned club. It was just a bunch of his second year and, uh, chemistry and lab assistant people, you know, that hung out with him and, and had fun. Uh, there was the time that we cleaned out the, uh, chemistry closet, the storage closet that had stuff in there that probably shouldn't have been in there, that had been in there for like 30 years. And somebody opened up the, uh, uh, which one was it? Well, it was something that basically made us all high. It was <laughs> toluene, I think it was toluene, which we, it shouldn't have been there, you know. So somebody just lifted the lid on it and he came into the lab and we're all sitting on the floor laughing like idiots. And he, He's like, oh, shit. He starts throwing the windows open and airing it out. It's like, everybody go in the hallway. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. So I look at that now. I'm like, it's a wonder he wasn't fired. <laughs> Except we took responsibility. It was our fault. You know, it was, well, it wasn't my fault or anybody. It was one person who did it, but we didn't rat on him. That's so funny, man. Weird, dude. That's so, just weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's again, it's Charleston. Charleston's strange. The Kanawha County Public Library had Keel and Valet and 
Gray Barker and everything. Every UFO book up until that time. Um, and tons of folklore. You know, so that's where I got a lot of education and stuff about ritual magic and, you know, Paracelsus and, you know, all of these really old, you know, things. And and there were a lot of people who, who practiced magic in Charleston at that time. Again, like I said, that's where all the devil worshipers lived for, as, as far as the rest of West Virginia was concerned. Makes sense, right? It makes sense. Yeah. The yeah. big city, drugs, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. the devil. Uh, that's the, the, oh, yeah. The seat of power is right there, you know, the seat right. of governmental power. The marble and, halls. And all of the old families, right? I think, see, I yes. think this is, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, growing up in a rural town, I, there wasn't the suggestion of, of say, a cult or, you know, the devil was in. De- so th- Satan, the devil and stories of Seder like beings, right, mm-hmm. were rampant when I was growing up. I didn't, you know, I knew who Pan was, right? And and mm-hmm. I sort of had a conception of Pan as Puck. Really, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's how I, I sort of had that this Disney version of Pan um, in, mm-hmm. in my mind. Right. Especially even in high school, uh, reading Greek mythology. Right. And in yeah. college. Right. There still was that that sort of idea. He wasn't sh- sort of shown as this, uh, you know, the first God, you know, the God before the moon, like all these these things mm-hmm. that, are, that, that are so much deeper. So anyway, but growing up. Uh, it was so crazy because, and I love those stories. People would talk about these deer hunters would be out in the woods, middle of the night, and they would come upon a half man, half goat. And they didn't know what a satyr was, right? And, and so that word was never used, but it was this mm-hmm. goat man. The, and there were tons of stories in Eastern Kentucky, especially mm-hmm. in McGoffin County where I grew up. And, uh, but yeah, the head of a goat the you know torso of a man and then the lower half were, were goat legs right and these these mm-hmm. hunters would they would come upon this and there were multiple stories and they all involved this like this goat-headed man which they identified with satan and then when we, they would find it it would open its mouth and then just emit this crazy high-pitched scream and then bound off into the mm. darkness okay and i loved those stories and now they, they've in retrospect, right, in this sort of weird feedback loop of, of life, they have so much more meaning for me. But at the time, mm-hmm. I remember I was like, this is this is crazy, right? You know, that, that they would even that they would even bring up these things. Um, but uh, I didn't have, you know, I heard those types of stories. I did not hear cult like stories because there really weren't old families where we, I mean, there were old, there were families that had been there for a long time, but everybody was poor. Right. Even the, yeah, the yeah. families that, that were well to do were more uh, transplant doctors that had come mm-hmm. to the community. Right. Uh, but yeah. everybody that grew up there, they were all poor, you know, they were all came from families that, that uh, predominantly were uh, coal mine households. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wasn't exposed to that narrative of cults 
because there weren't families yeah. with power. But then when I got down here to Somerset and I mm-hmm. heard about these five, six families that were so powerful, that narrative, which I think is a common narrative in America, maybe in elsewhere in the world, but definitely in the South and definitely in like Charleston, you know, the, the idea of families mm-hmm. that have been there for 300 years. There's some families mm-hmm. here in Somerset, 200 years and yep. ch- churches that have been here for 175, 180 years. And I, you know, those things to me are crazy to think of a, a church, an actual religious group that's been in the wilderness here for two centuries while all kinds of crazy stuff was going on. And so, and then you look at the founders of the church and it's these old families. And, yeah. and so th- that, that was the first time that I, I really had encountered personally encountered those types of stories where there were old and, and, and it, again, that ties into this Lovecraft sort of idea that, you know, mm-hmm. these new, these old new England families with tons of secrets, they were worshiping dark gods in the wilderness. And mm-hmm. I, I, you hear those stories here and I know I, I'm sure you've heard all kinds of crazy stuff in Charleston like that. It just makes sense that, that, that would be sort of a bastion of power and darkness and magic, you know, as Charleston, because it, it, the, the secrets are very old secrets there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's like old historic buildings and houses all through that city. Um, Huntington, I lived in Huntington for a long time too. When I, when I went to college, uh, Huntington though was a newer city and it was planned. It was, it was laid out by a uh, railroad baron named Collis P. Huntington. And, uh, you know, so it's laid out in a grid. It makes sense. Um, Super segregated, though. Like, even in the the mid-1980s, it was still, like, you know, 16th Street and up was where the black people lived. And 16th Street and down was where the white people lived. Or either, or vice versa. I can't see. I'm sitting here going left, right, east, west dyslexia i don't know which one um but it was it was it was way more segregated than charleston um charleston on the other hand is old so it 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 was they it started because of the river valley it started because there was salt so there was a salt mine in Kanawha county there was uh there were coal mines like around the edges of Kanawha county and the next counties over uh, but mostly it was the river. It was the Kanawha River that it was traversable to get to the Ohio and then on. And, of course, the Ohio eventually connects with the Mississippi. So that's that's a large chunk of why Charleston grew up where it grew up. And it was laid out, you know, <laughs> like uh, not planned. And uh, it was it was basically wherever there was flat land, uh, you you put some straight streets and when it stopped being flat, then you got curvy streets and, Hey, we need a street here. We're just going to put it there. And, and, you know, so it made no sense. And there's all of these like alleyways and, and strange areas you can get lost in. Um, and downtown Charleston used to be just full of businesses. 
And when I was a kid, they were businesses that hadn't changed a lot since like the 1940s and 50s. Because I, I was born right in the middle of the 60s. So we kept the 50s in, in Charleston until like the 70s, you know, because it was so good. We had to just hold on to it, you know. Uh, the golden the golden age right the, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah there were still old cars driving around you know it was very strange um but yeah there were the old families the roughners uh the dunbars uh geez i can't the slacks there were people who had been on the underwoods uh people who'd been in uh politics forever um, my boyfriend it, it, grew up in a house that had once been owned by a secretary of state, you know, so this big haunted, ramble, rambly, tumble down, fallen apart mansion. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. Isn't, wasn't, uh, is the bridge there, Ravenel, the Ravenels, and isn't there like a crazy bridge yeah. that yeah. was built by some dude, um, well, you know, that, that's the thing that uh, season three, you know, opinion rules coming up. And one of the things that I've been working on, which is, is a, a thread that runs through like the whole series. Right. And a lot of the research outside of opinion world, too, that, that I've been working on and other stories. Um, there's a I, for me, there was a tendency to to see a place that was weird or strange and to to assume that that weirdness and that strangeness came from something right that had taken root there which was weird or strange right that there was some type of uh, mm -hmm. thing from which it emanated but what i've really been mm -hmm. digging into and what i think part of the the exploration that that happens in penny royal is is finding that it doesn't have to be that that places because of literally physically where they are the same way that they seem to, um, I was thinking of like grooves in a wooden table that marbles sort of roll along. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're all drawn, you know, toward the center or toward something right where and it sort of curves them into it. It's like the way the land is shaped and the way that the land is formed and a place is it, it, it moves people there. Right. And it moves mm -hmm. energies. It moves all these things, commerce and technology, but also it, it moves weirdness. There's the, it causes, mm -hmm. I think, concentrations of strangeness in certain places because of the physicality of the place, right. That it's, that it isn't something mm -hmm. metaphysical that a lot of times strangeness finds a place because of the physicality of the place, because it's, it's been driven there or carried there. Right. Uh, but by other mm -hmm. forces, not by strange forces, by forces that we would think of as, you know, just banal, you know, sort of, uh, just totally yeah. normal things. Yeah. And, um, but I wonder about that, like Charleston, you know, it just seems like, like you said, Huntington too, is so laid out and so precise. And it's like Charleston is just, everything just sort of just splattered there and then uh, oh, or, yeah. or organically grew out and then boom, that's a strange place. Um, mm -hmm. But, but Huntington, man, there are like, I've found uh, in the last few months because of our research into a guy named Chuck Hayes, um, who was possibly a CIA agent, uh, allegations that he was an intelligence operative, lived here in Somerset, you know, another, it was like, 
these these people that should not be here keep popping up um and keep showing up yeah, yeah right you know it's like nobody what? told them that nobody <laughs> said you shouldn't be here so they yeah, just yeah, showed up. yeah yeah you're gonna stick out like a sore th- thumb here you know but they didn't you know somehow they didn't until you know we, we started looking for them anyway but chuck hayes um had the cia background and he ended up in huntington and there was a weird um Oh, what was it called? The Golden Shield. I think that was the, it was the Golden Shield uh, Agency of West Virginia. And I was like, what? There was another name for it that was Golden Shield something. I can't think of it off. The, I didn't even think we'd talk about this today. Uh, but uh, it was um, this this Golden Shield something agency of West Virginia. And there was one in Kentucky also. And across the river, basically. And I... I remember looking at it and it was a place that made passports for people like a, it sounded like an an insurance agency, but it wasn't, it was um, an agent, a type of agency that, that, and I had to look it up because I'd never heard of the phrase before. And, and it is a thing that existed in like the 1950s, 60s, 70s. There were places that um, it, they could, they could be some other type of store, but the person that owned the store had gotten registered with the U S government to be uh, allowed to make people's passports. And the fact that this guy was tied into this intelligence sort of conspiracy and this whole weird history, it seemed like uh, very likely that he was either creating passports for himself or for other people passing through. But then we started to find all sorts of strange stuff uh, with Huntington that was tied into Ashland Mm -hmm. oil uh, you know, there's that uh, the Ashland mm-hmm. Oil Company, and they were tied with the CIA. The president of mm-hmm. Ashland Oil had Hitler's telephone on his desk, um, and you know, like there was just all kinds yeah. of things tied into Huntington, and yeah. and and I thought, man, so so weird. A place that growing up for me, it was like, I don't know, it was another one of the the big cities, I guess, being in Eastern mm-hmm. Kentucky, if you went uh, to, to Ashland, Kentucky, you know, you were, you were, you, you could go to Huntington also. Um, yeah. And do you, do you remember Camden park? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think people know that there, there were these like crazy rural uh, Disney worlds basically. Yeah. That, that that's, like- that's uh hillbilly Disney world. Yes. Is yes. what that is. <laughs> Yeah, my um, aunt, my one of my aunts lost her wig on on the spider ride. Dude, the spider tilt a whirl things. Yeah, and it spins you. Well, her her wig flew off. Oh my god! We had to go get it. It's been it's been forever <laughs> since I've thought about the spider. Right, but there was the beast. Do you oh, remember yeah. the beast? And it was yeah. like the largest yeah. wooden roller coaster in North America at the time. Right. Oh God. Yeah. It was built specifically to be bigger than the one on Coney Island, which was the yes. tornado. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there was that ski lifty thing that you oh, know, yeah. what you, you just look down and it, it's like, and it would shake and shudder, and it's like I'm gonna die over this asphalt. I'm just gonna just splat right down there. And it's going to hurt because it's not going to kill me right away. Because it's not high enough. Right. That was, I mean, it, it was it was weird because at the time as a kid, it was like, man, I can't wait to go to Camden Park. As an adult looking back, 
I think, man, how did any of us survive that? It was such a dangerous place. But also now looking back from, from this perspective, the perspective of like high strangeness and weirdness, there's no telling what weird shit happened at that place. I mean, mm-hmm. it, if we really dug yeah, into Camden some Park. Some super sketchy people. Yes, yes. Super yes. sketchy people worked there. It was like, you know, 24-7 carnies and not the, the like, you know, cool carnies, but the scary looking people. And, uh, but man, my parents and, and aunt and uncle and, you know, my cousins, we the, everybody loved it. Everybody loved to go there. The haunted house, um, which half the time you'd get stuck in there because the the little train cars the the engine would just stop at certain points and so you'd have to sit there and wait and oh geez it was crazy but yeah you're right it's a wonder we didn't die the (laughs) the the both of the roller coasters sounded just rickety rickety horrifying and looking back it's just like damn what were we thinking? Right. And then I was like, yeah, it's West Virginia. What the hell was there to do? You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, are we going to, are we going to travel all the way to Cincinnati to go to a, you know, a big amusement park? No, <laughs> we're not. Right. So. The, sc- the school couldn't afford it. All that they could no. afford was Camden Park. And see, that's a story that's waiting to be written. High strangeness, yeah. Camden Park, right? <laughs> yeah, there's got to have been people who, you know, after hours were seeing weird stuff out there. Yeah, because um, yeah. fairly, fairly often we saw UFO things out. You know, you know, we'd s- sit up at Ritter Park in Huntington on the big hill that overlooks the whole city, and uh, you know, we'd look up in the sky, and if you're far enough out. The, the sky's pretty dark and and we'd see stuff you know that you know airplanes don't zigzag uh, neither do satellites so we knew that it was something uh but you know there's got to have been people who saw weird crap out at camden park because that was far enough from huntington itself to have a very dark sky at night mm-hmm. yeah i mean it was sort of out in the middle of nowhere um man mm-hmm that's it's just you. You're blowing my mind with memories of of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we had fairly similar ones. So yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, there used to be back in the early 20th century. There was a uh, an island in the Canal River called Magic Island, and there used to be an amusement park there um my great aunts told me about it and it used to have a huge roller skating rink and a huge ice skating rink and then there were rides and there was bowling and this was back in like you know from the 1910s to the 1930s that it was there and that was like you know this big exciting thing and uh, charleston used to have I'm old enough to remember going to the movies at theaters that weren't, a, you know, a Cineplex, but the individual theaters in downtown and, you know, seeing Star Wars at one of those, you know, giant 
really pretty old movie theaters. Uh, I, the one that I went to see Star Wars in is the one where they they were recording Mountain Stage for all those years. So it's the yeah. Capitol Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mountain Stage program, too, is just fantastic. Like, that's just, yeah. That's, yeah. that's cool that you, you saw that, too. Wow. Yeah. I used to hang out with some of the Mountain Stage band off and on, so... They were very, very cool people. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, and until I started working a little bit more in music uh, after college, and um, I, d- I didn't know about the mountain stage stuff. You know, just, even being from McGoffin County, it wasn't it was almost too far east for us. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, yeah. But when I found out about the mountain stage stuff, I was like, wow, this is it's such. Yeah, that that program and and a lot of stuff that was happening in. West Virginia in particular was, was preserving a lot of Appalachian music and promoting it too. Uh, and not just like bluegrass mm-hmm. music, but also, you know, what would eventually become Americana music. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's wild. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. Now a thing about Huntington is now that there's lots of haunted stuff in Charleston. Um, but Huntington I think one of the most haunted places I've been in and that I've worked in was the old Keith Albee theater. And that was a vaudeville theater and it it was huge and it was decorated in the style of a Renaissance Italian villa. So it was like so overdone, you know, so it's huge, gigantic. And it had gold leaf and all of this stuff. Now, by the time I was working there, it had been broken up into smaller theaters. And um, it, the, it had gotten shabby. You know, the hand-painted stuff was, mm-hmm. was getting shabby. But it's a gigantic building. And uh, I think you have to pay to do ghost hunting there. But back when I worked for the theater company that owned it and the... Um, other two theaters uptown, the cinema and the, I can't remember the name of the other one, but the cinema and the, I can't remember. That's good. They, they were scary. They had bats in the theater. Uh, the, the Camelot didn't, or the Keith Albee. It was the cinema and the Camelot and then the Keith Albee. So the Keith Albee was the really big one. And uh, I got to work midnight movies and that was fun because we didn't have to be nice to people. Uh, <laughs> which was perfect for me when I was younger. Uh, and uh, But one time we got called to go up to the Keith Albee because the burglar alarm had gone off. And there was a back door just slammed open. And there was three of us. There was the manager of the cinema and Camelot, who was just not a big guy. You know, he's just a guy. With asthma. It was a guy with asthma. He was not helpful. Uh, and then there was me. And yeah, I was I was fairly buff at the time because I was doing weightlifting and stuff. But, you know, I'm still only, you know, short. I was, I'm a short woman. I'm not big. So I had the, the big mag light with me because I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die with a weapon in my hand. And uh, then there was the skinniest doorman ever and he was only like 17 and he was behind me and we had to go through that entire building all the way from the balcony all the way down to the 
god-awful basement that looked like Freddy Krueger lived there. It was awful. It was terrible. And the whole time we're going, the kid behind me and I could hear footsteps behind us and beside us, but there was nothing there. And every time we stopped, it would be like one more step and then it would stop. (laughs) The manager in front of me could hear nothing, probably because he couldn't breathe. So so he was breathing heavily and, and because of the dust and stuff. And I'm like, can we just go? Can we just go? Gavin, please, can we just go? There's nobody here. And if they are, what are they going to steal? There's nothing in here to steal. But maybe they'll set it on fire and we don't have to work anymore. What? Yeah. <laughs> and the whole time, we just we just kept walking and we'd hear those those footsteps and the creaks. And then the the fold down seats would kind of judder as we went by, but it wasn't the floor moving. The floor was you know concrete. It, yeah. it, so we're That's just weird. all like you know Jimmy and I are both like we're going to die here. And I'm like, yeah. I said, I mean, I'm at this point scared that there's actually somebody in here messing with us. And he was like, nope. Because I keep flashing my light where the sound's coming from, and there's nothing there. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> we were in there for like an hour and a half. It was like 2 in the morning when we went there. We got out at like 4.30. I was like. That's scary, Gavin, man. I hate you. I hate well, you, Gavin. <laughs> have you have you ever gone back to to that place, to uh, Ghost oh, Hunt? Oh, yeah. Have Not you? to Ghost Hunt. Oh, oh. Not to Ghost Hunt. Um I have I I know a lot of people who have seen some of the ghosts. I never saw them. I know people who saw the lights going through there. They're, you know, like f- you know, floating light balls and stuff. It with me it was just the sounds. Now the the cinema had a ghost that whispered at people. And I was there for one of those. I didn't hear it, but the girl who was with me heard it and she ran me over to get out she had gone to turn off the booth she was an assistant manager and the whisperer had said how are you this evening (laughs) she was like "Ah!" and ran and i was coming up and i'm like are you okay okay did you hear just a boom and hit me right in the face she's like get out just turn around turn around turn around it's it's up there it's oh boy it was called so the Whisperer. I, she, we called it the Whisperer because it whispered. My guess is if it was a spirit of a person, which I'm not, pre- I'm pretty sure ghosts aren't that. But because everybody perceived it as that, maybe it took on that persona. And you know, doormen and and such were always supposed to whisper if they had to talk to somebody in the theater. So that was what I thought was happening we had we had basically created a tulpa that whispered but boy that's spooky places that's interesting too that you mentioned the balls of light that people would see in the theater Mm -hmm. um that we growing up that was something that i heard all the time from my dad all the the people you know my family grew up in the same five mile farmland for 150 years mm-hmm. right over 150 years probably uh all of the generations all the family they all lived near each other in the same holler right and mm-hmm. uh 
the stories, you know, went way, way back. And I remember always hearing about these balls of light in, in Eastern Kentucky, every, the, the number of cemeteries, uh, it, it, it almost, the cemeteries almost outnumber the people, right? Because mm-hmm. every single house in, at least where I grew up, right? McGoffin County, but definitely Eastern, deep in the mountains in Eastern Kentucky, almost every single house has a family plot, right? Like out in your backyard, you've got a backyard Mm -hmm. and then just beyond the backyard is a little fenced off area. And that's where your grandparents are buried or your, you know, your family, your dad's brother, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody had sort of a personal graveyard. So like when I would walk out of my house from when we lived up on this farm and the farm on a hill and uh, because we're in a holler, right? We're up on this, the edge of the holler. And and mm-hmm. if I looked out, I could see, you know, eight different cemeteries behind eight different houses. And there were always stories yeah. of balls of light, right? That that these, yep. and, and, and they were just so commonplace. I, I just remember that too, That but they were perceived as being spirits of the dead or angelic having come back, right? They weren't, perceived mm-hmm. as people being uh trapped in the cemetery um and and often too right that this was something that was kind of odd growing up we did um there was a lot of uh funerals at the home or, or in church but often mm-hmm. at the home and i remember there were there would be a lot of uh sitting up with the dead where People would mm-hmm. just stay all night and they'd make food. You know, they'd be in that. It's kind of weird because you're eating, people are making food, everyone's talking, yeah. having a good time, and there's a dead body in the corner, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was strange yep. that there was this sort of like celebration, you know, jubilation. And, uh, but I, I would always hear stories that after someone had passed, that, you know, because often the children were staying overnight just the adults would sit up with the dead and the uh, adults would often report balls of light that would come to the house and would float around the windows right but they the way Mm -hmm. that they were spoke of or, or described to me as a child and to other children that these were angels that had come to take the spirit of the person who had just died and they were not to be feared. They were to be sort of welcomed that it was a common part of crossing over and passing on. And, and so we didn't see those things as spook lights or, or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, but, but now I'm like, you know, we've got, there are all these reports of these balls of light with Bigfoot. (laughs) Right. So, so how, how's that connected to this? You know? Yep. Yep. That's, that's why, that's what I'm doing research on. Um, the way, uh, Josh Kutchin came up with, Hey, everything in the paranormal has to do with death. I'm like, well, everything in the paranormal also has to do with little lights or big lights, but it's lights. (laughs) Yeah. And we can't figure out where it's coming from and what's it doing. You know, sometimes it's beams of light. Sometimes it's squares of light. That's the one that gets me. All right, light. How are you forming yourself into a square? What are you doing there? That's not a normal thing you should be doing. Uh, <laughs> is there somebody with a light up, you know, tile carrying it around and putting it in the sky? What are you doing? Uh, but yeah, is, light. Is this, is this research that you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Working on a book. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. 
that's very cool. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to put your little story there. Oh, please do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's something that, that (laughs) definitely encountering the stories that, that, uh, Josh had, you know, written about, um, and, uh, uh, you know, where the, the footprints end, um, uh, yeah. uh, all of all of the stories with that those books, both of those books, but also the what he just published too, with about the the connections between the dead. It's just absolutely fantastic. I remember I was working on season two of Penny Roll, and I interviewed him, and he mentioned it. He wasn't finished. I guess did you, you edit you edited the, did the editing on the books, right? Um, and I did uh, the editing on Ecology of Souls. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so he didn't tell me the name of the book, but he just said, "Hey, I might mention some of this stuff." You know, I was like, "Man, by the time I get the second season out, you'll have already published the book." You know, so you won't be spoiling anything. I remember he told me the, the you know we talked about the connections between the dead uh, and you know aliens and and other parts of high strangeness, and I thought it was just such an incredible thing. Um, I love that you're going into the light aspect because it is such a um, a weird element. Uh, something that I that wasn't part of Penny Royal, but that I was doing research for just for like our the Patreon and the Liminal Lodge stuff that I do every week. Um, you know, we it's kind of a wide range of of different research. A lot of it focuses on Penny Royal, but other things too that are sort of tangential. To, to the research, um, other avenues of exploration. And one of them was the Hesdalen lights in Norway. Oh yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that's because those, the stories of that Valley and the Hesdalen Valley and the fact that there are these weird lights that come and interact with people, interact with their houses. But it, it also sort of ties into the Aurora Borealis, right? The Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. But that's also the exact region where the ghost rockets were happening. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, what about that specific place is so strange that all of these different phenomena, and a, a lot of which are light phenomena, right? Like, why do they concentrate mm-hmm. in that specific area of the world? It's to me, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, as, as you, um, point out in, in Penny Royal, I think in the very first episode, maybe the second episode, but it's the electromagnetic anomaly mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. right there. Um, and, uh, that apparently can help generate strange lights. Again, nobody's really sure what's going on with the strange lights, how they're produced. Um, one of the things that, that I'm leaning towards is that it's somehow plasma and it's intelligent, or it is intelligently maneuvered by something else. Uh, one of the things uh, just recently when I was talking with uh, Jason for last week's episode, he said, hey, the the uh, USGS magnetic anomaly map is updated now. He said, you really should take a look at it. So I've been looking at it. And it turns out that, you know, pretty much all the places I've ever lived has a very strong electromagnetic anomaly in it, except for one place. And that was Cranston, Rhode Island. Cranston was kind of boring. 
as compared to everywhere else. But, you know, the place where I had the, the Bigfoot in the woods or whatever it was that was roaring and shaking trees and making a whole big old racket scaring everybody to death, that had a magnetic anomaly, a very strong one. Uh, the Kanawha Valley has one. Mason County has one. Uh, Athens has one. And, and as, as you report, you've got one down there in eastern Kentucky, too. So, yeah, I do wonder about that. And uh, the Appalachian region has a lot of them. Yeah, it, it's, it's weird because you can see how the map, it, like, it kind of tracks with Appalachia and eastward. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of strange places there. Um, well, you know, uh, one of the guys that I interview... For season three, he mentions in the area where the Mount Victory mine is, which we talked about in the first season, you know, that's that's the place that uh, mm -hmm. Alexander Katerma, Mr. X purchased. And uh, the witnesses have said that's where the cult activity was, you know, which there wasn't a cult, but some strange things went down there. That that mine yeah. is near that mine is near where one of the peaks of uh, the Kentucky anomaly is located. And so I was interviewing a guy. Uh, named Rex and um, who's a, a, a major part of the third season. And he grew up in the Mount Victory area, this Eastern part of Pulaski County, right where the um, Daniel Boone National Forest is, which is, you know, one of the, the sort of peaks of, of the anomaly. And he, he grew up there, lived there his entire life. It's a weird isolated enclave. There's a community there called white Lily uh, that's that's very strange, very old, and, and so w when we went up there, and and this is sort of the area where like Strawberry Road is. Uh, people, if people are familiar with Hillier, that that's the area that they're when they're down here in in Somerset, they're driving around in sort of the the Str Strawberry Road, Mount Victory. Why that, that's a weird area, and and so Rex and I, right. I've, I've I've known Rex for a long time, and. Uh, he's always told me these stories that his grandmother had their fantastic stories about this area. And we were up there, we were camping. I had him take me to his uh, sort of family land so that we could camp out. I wanted to see if anything happened. And he told me all these stories about these balls of light that they would see coming because that area is very, there's tons of karst landscape, tons of caves, uh, it's the Sloan's Valley cave systems. They're 13th largest in North America. Right. And it sort of is part of the mammoth cave system that that's a little bit further West, but you know, all these caves stretch beneath Kentucky and, and go East. And he believed and all these older generations of people that grew up in the area believe that those balls of light use the caves beneath that community to travel. And they would there were there was an opening on his family's land, and they had always reported these balls of blue and green light that would come up out of these uh, holes in the earth, and then they would interact with people. The same things that my family would describe as as not spook lights, but they thought they were the spirits of the dead. And but to them, he thought, and his family thought that they were that they saw them as spook lights or as sprites, not fairies necessarily, but like uh, mm -hmm. Willow the Wisp, sort of like country Willow the Wisps, where it was like, don't go following them. Yeah, they'll lead yeah. you somewhere. You know, somewhere bad. They'll they'll you'll get killed. You'll fall into a hole. You'll fall into yeah. a cave. You know, but 
I, I thought that was yeah. really strange. You know, I, I wondered if there was the fact that that was one of the main peaks of uh, the Kentucky anomaly. Was there a focusing of energy there that was causing these? Was it plasma? Was it like the Hesdalen lights, right? That, that this was also a right. place where um, it, it was a physical phenomenon. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what's so yeah. perplexing about it. Yeah, the the thing about the Hestelin lights that that just kills me. It, it's, you know, you have scientists here. Uh -huh. They're 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 real live, honest to god, skeptical, facts only, ma'am, scientists. And they're they're they've got spectrometers and they got cameras and they got all this stuff. And they'll wait up all night in arctic temperatures. And they won't see a thing until they put the cameras away, which is why they don't do that anymore, by the way. They just leave them out. Uh, but there's the story where they put the cameras away, and then they show up, and then they start coming closer. And then, of course, later, they start following these scientists to their bunkhouse. Now, you know, at first, they're like, oh, it's just some plasma that's being ignited by something or another. And that's what it is. And then, of course, you also have stories from these scientists that there are humanoid-shaped lights dashing around in the woods. And, you know, I feel bad for them in a way. It's like, you know, that's what you get for saying it's just this or it's just that. <laughs> it's going to show you different. <laughs> that's the, I, I love the Hesden Light stories. I think J. Allen Hynek actually went and uh, studied the, mm -hmm. the lights because he thought they were UFOs, but I think he was very wrong, right? Uh, any Anything that was flying around well, that was a light was seen as a UFO. And it was like, th these are not UFOs. Definitely well, not. yeah. Yeah. Who knows what they are? That's the thing. Who knows what UFOs are? Um, I Have you ever read Eric... Ule's book called Illuminations. Oh, no, no. It's a parapsychological look at UFOs. It's really interesting, and it's similar to the way Carl Jung looked at UFOs in his book, uh, UFOs, a Modern Myth of Things in the Sky, um, which is a small book. It's, it's really good, and it, it does give you a perspective that is not, it's aliens, you know, because I'm pretty sure it's not. But um, Ulay has a, a very good, interesting, complete 180 take on it, where he looks at it as collective uh, psychokinesis, where we are essentially using some energy to create something and then we're attaching meaning to it which i find interesting and i'm i'm i will not throw that one right out over my shoulder and go ah can't be that because it could be and again i also think there's more than one answer it's 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 like those multiple choice tests where you know is it a is it b is it a and b is it c is it C, B, and A? Is it all of the above? You know, it, and I think the answer is it's all of the above, probably, yeah, except maybe I, one. Yeah, I, it's, I agree. It's not D. It's not. Yeah, right, right, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think you're, I think you're totally right. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> 
I'll have to check that book out. I didn't. I haven't. I haven't read that book. It's a. It's a good one. I just. I just went through it last night and took notes, so it's fresh in my mind. That's cool. Uh, yeah. The 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 lights are a fascination of mine. So if you ever you know hear any stories or know of anybody who has stories, send them my direction or let me know. I'll be very very obliged to you, as we say in Appalachia. So. What is your favorite high strangeness? Oh, man. Not necessarily a case or anything, but like a category. What's your favorite? Like the oh. thing that'll make you go, oh, I got to hear about that. You know, I, I mean, I really love time slip stories. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just, th those are my, those are my favorites, man. And I, I don't know. I mean, those are the ones that are probably the easiest to explain away as someone having sort of like a, you know, there something's wrong inside their brain, right. That where they perceive uh, where they are as, as another time. But I'm, I have always loved those, the, the story of the two women who were, uh, you know, that went back in time uh, and, and Marie Antoinette, uh, they interact with Marie Antoinette. Um, God, I can't yeah. And her the, little, the it's the Versailles and the, the little cottage that she had. Yes. Yeah. Built. Yeah. In Versailles. Yeah. I, I, I love that one. And then um, uh, there's the, a street in England that uh, is th the name of a local phenomena of time slips is um, I can't think of that either now, uh, but, but there's a place in England, I think it's in London um, and tons of different time slips have been reported there. You know, people go into a shop and then suddenly it's the shop 50 years earlier. Um, all of those things. I love that because it's like, are there, weird folds and bubbles that are moving around through space. Right. And if yeah. you're just, you just so happen to, to hit one of those bubbles, you know, is, is, you know, are you going to, are you, are you going to make your way back? Right. Um, yeah. Also, when I was in college, my roommate, um, who, uh, Robert, who I love, um, just one of my best friends. Um, he, he was, he's sort of like down to earth, no frills scientist. Right. And he told me a story where he was, uh, he grew up in Breckenridge County, which was in Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky has all kinds of strange stuff. Obviously that's where Hopkinsville is and you know, the oh, Hopkinsville yeah. goblin stuff. Uh, it, didn't and, Edgar and, Casey live out yeah. in that direction too? In Hopkinsville, he actually lived in yeah. Hopkinsville, where the little green men appeared. You know, which you know, another time, you know, like that's something that were, people were, should really were they his on. pets? What was going right. on with that? Right. Yeah, it's, I it's love like, those stories. Yeah, did he manifest the 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 Hopkinsville mm -hmm. goblins? You know, but um, but so he he grew up in Breckenridge County. Um, I think Breckenridge also has some of the stories of the great red uh, hole or the great red devil where there was supposedly they dug a hole into the earth and um, there was this Seder like being that came out pan basically uh, that people reported. But a personal story that he had for Breckenridge County was um, he, he was walking in the woods. He was a teenager, I think with his brother and um, 
he was walking along a, an old fence line and they'd walk this fence line numerous, numerous times. And this particular day they were walking the fence line. And when he got to the end of it, there was a house in this wide open field. And it's a lot of like flat land, farmland. Mm -hmm. And he sees in this field, this house. And he said it was an 1800 sort of house and late 1800s and farmhouse. And this uh, woman comes out in all this old period clothing, sees him is sort of perplexed calls for her husband. He comes out and then starts to come toward them and that freaks them out. So they start going back along the fence the other way and then ran back home. Well, he gets his parents and says, there was a weird house out there that we've never seen before. They all go and it's not there. And I've always wondered, right? Of course it's gone when it goes back, but I've always wondered if it was like a fairy line, like, that path that day at Mm -hmm. that time led him back. And he's lucky that he went back exactly the way he came because if he hadn't, maybe he, he would have never been seen again or even a trapped in that time. Right. Did, did he somehow hit a bubble or a corridor that in space and in time that thrust him or allowed him to slip, you know, between the the two two times and places. So I've always that, that, I just loved that story. And, and so for me, high strangeness wise, it's, it's the time slip stories. I hope it never happens to me. I hope it never happens to anyone, but those are the ones that really wrinkle my brain a little bit more than, and than some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. My aunt Judy had that happen um, down in Tennessee at the hermitage, which was uh, what's his face. Uh, Andrew Jackson's home. <laughs> before he was president so it was his plantation and she was on a tour and she had been in the house and looking around and she was in a bedroom i think it was one of his children's bedrooms and she was looking at the the dresser and had looked up there was a mirror and behind her she saw a woman in period dress so the the ampere type dress 1830s and she was you know she's like oh that's so nice they have costumed guides i'm gonna have to ask her if she made her own dress you know because my aunt loved period clothes and so she turned and of course there's nobody there and so she turned back around and looked back in the mirror and there was nobody there either And so she was like, you know, I'm just having a little, I'm having a moment. I'm having a moment. And she said, it is hot. It's been hot outside. So maybe I'm just a little, you know, so she got a drink of water and she was fine. And, and she went outside with the, the, you know, the tour guide gathered everybody up and they were going to go out and look at the stables. And she's walking with everybody else and the stables, she's so funny she looked at the stables and they were really beautifully made because he really loved horses and he he raised horses and bred them and all this stuff and the guide was telling him all about that and well she kind of stepped into the the stable after everybody else had already left and she was just kind of looking around at how well built it was and you know all of these stalls and she was imagining oh it would have been so pretty to see the horses you know and 
And for a second, she closed her eyes and then she heard horses and she was like, okay, imagination's running away again. And she opened her eyes and for a second, she saw the barn was full of grooms and horses and people um, rubbing the horses down, uh, fixing tack. There was hay in the loft. She could smell it. She could smell the horses. And one of the grooms looked up and saw her and stared at her. And then she was like, okay, yeah, it is time for me to walk backwards out of here. And she did. And then she closed her eyes again and then opened them and it was gone. And so she was like, you know, she really thought, okay, it's my brain. You know, there's something wrong. I'm having a stroke. Except for that groom that looked at her and looked scared. And it's like if you could if you could check out that guy's diaries, right? If you knew <laughs> know, who that right? was, <laughs> did he write down like, man, there was this weird, weirdly dressed woman like walked into the barn this day. She had on the- pants. I don't even know what she Right. She didn't have a corset on. <laughs> I don't even know. Although at that time they didn't wear corsets; they had stays. But whatever. That's that's uh, that's an awesome story, though. That's fantastic. Wow. She, yeah, she told me that when I was a kid, and she, you know, she it was well known amongst the whole family. We, I mean, she was considered the more weird of the family, but still. Do Do you remember? Have you ever heard the story about the guy? This isn't exactly a time slip, but I do think this is one of the stories you mentioned that it happened in Tennessee. Made me think of this. Um, the story of the farmer in Tennessee mm-hmm. who was in his field and he was struck by a beam of light, he says, or whatever. And then he saw on his property, this big city had grown up and there were all these people. Right. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then I think he saw, and it, what he said was a large explosion, right? And then um, he w- he wakes up on his back in the field. He goes to town and tells the newspaper and all these people. They reported in the newspaper. It's printed at the time, and uh, this was like early or late eighteen hundreds, I think, uh, like eighteen ninety five mm-hmm. or something. And they printed up in the newspaper. And for the rest of his life, he was called a quack. And people even made fun of him for for even publicizing the story. And then, yeah, that's right. It's and then it was fifty years later. It was eighteen ninety five. In nineteen forty five, they built on his exact property, Oak Ridge, to build yep. the nuclear bomb. And like in yep. the Oak Ridge Museum, they actually have the newspaper from eighteen ninety five where that dude had that experience. And I think that is, you know just the best evidence ever of precognition, mm-hmm. right? Like it's undeniable. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that, not just because Oppenheimer came out and not just because it's been, you know, X number of years since uh, the Trinity explosion out at white sands. Uh, I really do think that large chunks of, at least the UFO phenomena has to do with nuclear weapons use. I think it did something other than, you know, blew up a whole lot of people and destroyed a whole lot of, of land. I think it did something else. 
And I think that he had that precognitive experience is very, very telling that it was about that. And yes, Oak Ridge was basically a city, essentially, because they didn't want people going in and out. Yeah. Because it was so secretive. So yeah. I, I find that to be, it's, it's just really interesting that you brought that up because it's been on my mind for the past year that perhaps blowing that up did something that well, wasn't quite uh, normal. Yeah. Well, so, so I've, I've, I've had the same thought, right. And uh, what's his name? Um, is it Graham? Is it Graham Hancock that wrote Supernatural? I mean, Graham mm -hmm. Hancock is a controversial figure now because of a lot of this. Well, I really like that book, though. I, I like that book Supernatural, too. Supernatural, I, I really like. Yeah, the the some of the of, other stuff, I'm like, mm, dude, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ancient <laughs> alien stuff is is absolutely racist, I, right? There, there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of like it had to and be white people that made these things. Exactly. Exactly. And don't get mad at the people that don't let you near the serpent's mound after what you've said. Be quiet, man. It's right. there. Hush. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. But but the but but the supernatural book is really intriguing because yes. you know he basically alleges, you know, I think uh that ayahuasca that that in the jungle basically um people taking ayahuasca uh and some of the uh tribes people there, indigenous uh tribes have families spiritual families in this other world that they access through ayahuasca and other types of uh psychedelic or dmt experiences and what they describe mm -hmm. those those beings as are what we would think of as grays and are in mm -hmm. you know the flying saucers right and so I've often wondered, like, mm -hmm. yeah, did, when we set off the nuclear bombs, right? When we did the atomic testing and all these things, did it somehow tear into their reality? And so when we started to be contacted by uh, UFOs and, and the Space Brothers, those, those anti-nuke uh, messages were really, stop doing the testing because you're, you're killing us. Right. The radiation isn't just mm -hmm. ra irradiating your world and your reality. It's bleeding into ours. And maybe it's even more damaging there than it is here. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've often wondered that, especially after yeah. reading Supernatural, you know. Yeah. Bef even before that, um, I, I was I was I was. I was tripping. So, okay. So it was it was psilocybin, not ayahuasca or DMT. Uh, but I had this, this thought that, you know, electromagnetic pulses can disrupt energy. And I was like, what if it can tear some energy apart? What if a nuclear weapon, which generates huge amounts of electromagnetic energy and sends it in every damn direction what if it tears apart some kinds of energy that we don't really think about at all like energy-based life forms like souls and then you know a few minutes later we put on a, a cd by the the group material and they have uh <laughs> they have william s burroughs doing 
Seven Souls with music. And one of the lines is that, what if nuclear weapons are soul killers? So I was sitting there going, okay, now that was some weird precognitive business on my part. <laughs> Hi, William. Um, <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have thought for a while that we kind of busted into another world that we weren't supposed to do. And that has set off all kinds of imbalances. I mean, because the, the UFO people say that all the time. You know, basically, it's, it's not balanced. You're destroying things. I hadn't thought about the EMP pulse. And, That's uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it, it, it's a, if you think about how UFOs stop car engines, which they apparently don't do as much anymore, but still do a little bit. Well, that's an EMP pulse, most likely. Something that will disrupt the electrical system. And it just made me think in the opposite direction. It's like, well, what if, what if it was one of those really big ones from a, a, a nuke? Ooh. You know, what? Ooh. So, you know, me thinking about plasma, intelligent plasma. It, yeah. Disrupted. So, yeah. Is it? Is this something that you're putting in the book? Or do you mention any of this? Mm -hmm. No, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm fixing to I'm fixing to get into to light physics, which is gonna be hard, but I will do it. <laughs> That's cool. I, I wish that. I had UFO people who could give me downloads and teach me physics, but no. <laughs> I just get good ideas for stories. That's it. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's wild. That's man. what happens when you get fairies and not UFO people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I guess there's one thing, one, one last thing I, uh, that, that I would like to mention just is, uh, uh, okay. you know, I've, I've, I've been working just very quickly, been working on, and you and I had talked about this. No, go ahead. That, you know, I've been working on this uh, research with the cattle mutilation phenomena, right? And mm -hmm. that has been so fascinating. And and so after season three of Penny Roll comes out, um, we'll later that year, uh, later next year, basically, um, we'll be releasing a project called Hidden in the Herd. And it is the culmination of us building... Um, the largest consolidated database of cattle mutilations, and I've filed. Oh. It's it's going to be crazy. I, I've I've filed FOIA requests to uh, the 21 states that were part of the investigation in the 1970s at the height of all of this stuff. But I'm, it's just like the things that we found in the documents, and, so, and a lot of the documents that we got through FOIA. Um, I love muckrock.com <laughs> and I pay to be able to send FOIA for, I think it's up to 40 FOIA requests a month and they help facilitate it, follow up with people. And I've gotten so many documents and it's like, though, and it's, a lot of the documents are, have not been seen since the 1970s. Uh, one cache of documents, uh, I had to pay quite a bit of money because no one had ever redacted the documents right and so they charged me oh, so if, they had to go in there yeah yeah, yeah. if you're the if you're the first some, person <laughs> some poor schmuck 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. In the library. Oh, and I, and oh I, I hate this man. I, yeah. I don't know him, but yes. I hate him. <laughs> They're like, this guy's an asshole, right? You know? <laughs> but, but it's like... <laughs> it's like... <sighs> If if you're the first person, have you talking to Chris O'Brien? Yeah, so I've reached out to Chris O'Brien and to uh, David Perkins, um, and so I, I plan on talking a little bit more with them about this stuff um, because they are Chris O'Brien. Definitely, David Perkins was was the sort of the pioneer of the research, and then Chris mm-hmm. O'Brien later in the late '80s and '90s. You know, those two know each other really well. And uh, Chris yeah. O'Brien, his book probably is the most thorough, most thoroughly researched, uh, uh, you know, book about cattle mutilation. So, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that uh, I didn't really, it was a whimsical article I was writing about the connection between, uh, could there be a connection between alchemical blood or, or alchemical rights and uh, cattle mutilation because of the uh, mineral mines, all the metallurgical stuff in the Denver, south of Denver area. And was there a connection between mm-hmm. the cattle being drained of blood and these alchemical rituals, right? And it was just sort of a fun thing that I, I wanted to dig into to see if there was anything there. And it it led me into this crazy rabbit hole about cattle mutilation that has nothing to do with that. And everything to do with uh, sort of a whole new view of how it unfolded. And and it's just, it's been so fun going through those documents, building the database, and then interviewing people that were, you know, around in the 70s. A lot of those people are, are you know, right at the edge where they're, they're no longer going to be with us. Um, so I've kind of been rushing to yeah. interview a lot of those people, but yeah, I just, I, I'm really excited to tell that story. It's, it's just been for me, something that, uh, it was, it was, it was refreshing, you know, to have been working on Pennyroyal for the last few, you know, five, six, seven years, you know, um, to, to have another story that, that really became very personal, uh, to look into. So I'm excited about that. There's, and then, uh, at strange realities, um, uh, down in Nashville, um, uh, I, I will be talking about this. That's, uh, I'll be one of the speakers at, at that, um, uh, convention and, uh, definitely I highly recommend getting tickets. It's going to be streamed online. Um, but I'll, I'll be, talking about all the research um in the hidden in the herd project so excited about that i think that's going to be fun nice and uh, i think it'll be kind of a, a cool take on an old uh, you know uh, trope in the uh in the ufo in the world so yeah y- you know that that stealing cattle was a thing that happened in the uk that people blamed on witches and fairies yeah so yeah, it's it's it's, been, it's a thing. It's been going on for it's a very always, long time. It's been a thing for a long time. Yeah, 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 yep, yep, definitely. Yeah. So, so when is the third season of Penny Royal coming out? Right now, it's the current. If I don't have to delay anything and everything goes according to plan, uh, with uh, finalizing it over the next few months, uh, we're looking at uh, last part of January of twenty twenty four. So um beginning of next year um so that's what i'm shooting for everything should be done um and uh and then the hidden in the herd stuff should be out uh probably the last part of 2024 so yeah that's what i've got slated i'm excited yeah i really admire i admire the way you do um podcasting because it's a it's a 
a narrative style and it's a it's a a uh, it got you know it 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 tells us a, a single story but also many stories within the single story it's a very it's a very beautiful way to tell many stories at the same time while still looking at the big picture so thank you i really like it I like to tell stories. My my daughter's name is Story, and my other daughter's name is Fable. So <laughs> I'm a big fan. Oh, of, that's of, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big fan of of stories. So yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming and and visiting with me. And well, thank uh, you. you're welcome anytime. Oh man, thank you, thank you so much for having me on tonight. I love the show. Um, and it's just a big honor to, to get to chat with you again. It's been fun. Every time, every time we talk, I, my mind is blown. So thank you. It's, I have a great time with you too. It's like, I had no idea about Camden park. That just is still making my brain go. Wow. But, but you understand you, you understand the hillbilly Disney world. So I do. yeah, that's Near really cool. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. (laughs) 